0: Welcome to Midnight Menu Plus One. I'm Ray Canata.
1: And I'm Margot Moss. Midnight Menu Plus One is a food lifestyle show on the podcast network. It's NewOrleans.com. Brought to us tonight by Petite Pet Care. While you're at work or on a vacation, you don't have to board your pet. He can stay in the comfort of his own home. For loving care when you're not there, Petite Pet Care. Pet Care. Find them at Petitepetcare.com.
0: Each week on Midnight Menu Plus One, Margo and I invite a member of New Orleans' restaurant and food community to join us, and we invite them to bring along their own guest the plus One. We never know who the Plus One's going to be. Sometimes it's a friend, a neighbor, a family member, a fellow restaurant colleague. Well, a special guest tonight on Midnight Menu Plus One, uh, we're very excited to have with us Chef Harveen Kara of, of Hillel's Kitchen at Tulane's campus. Um, but before she gets here, we wanted to talk a little bit with our uh, with our new host, Chef Chappie. We're now um, we're now taping at a Chappie's restaurant, and we're so grateful to be here with you. And uh, how long have you been open, Chef?
2: Uh, two weeks. We just finished in two weeks today.
0: All right. How's it going? It's rolling. All right. We're cooking up a storm. What's the, what's your favorite thing you make?
2: My favorite thing. Favorite I'm a seafood holic, so I love yeah. my fish, 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 fish. Speckled trout, redfish, tuna. I'm a, I'm a fishaholic, so I can eat fish every day. And then I want a big, thick steak. Oh, <laughs> when I'm fished out, you know, big, thick steak. Lots of veggies. I, I love everything. That's my problem. I'm never going to be a skinny boy. I'm going to be fat. <laughs> I've been fat my whole life, and it's never going to change. But I am down to a, a crisp 240. Very All right. Impressive. All my friends at Oshner will be very proud to hear that I'm down to 240.
0: <laughs> nice. Well, you should take a break once in a while and go to Hillel because they have some nice, healthy meals over there we're going to hear about in just a moment. But yours are delicious. And, uh, they I may this, not be dietetic, but
2: like, what do you mean? Fish is about as healthy as it could be. <laughs> Give you're the one break. that said
0: it, not me. I think fish is great. You're the yeah. one that said you were 240 from it. That's all <laughs> not from that. From else. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, um, we're so grateful to be here. tell us your address and your webpage and all the rest of any of the contact stuff, your hours,
2: 6106 magazine street. Uh, we're open seven nights a week, five to 10 and all day Sunday. We do a wonderful Sunday champagne brunch. So, and uh, three courses, $15, plus, of course, the cost of champagne, which is $6. All right. Or a Bloody Mary. That's a great deal. Yeah, it is. And it's been very popular this last Sunday. We really did really. Really awesome. happiness was in here.
0: All right. Well, yeah, I, I, I walk by here. I live right nearby, and I've been seeing the place uh, filling up more and more. It seems every day. It's exciting to see it, and uh, really appreciate it. Thank you. Good. All right. Well, we'll chat with you more, I'm sure, in the days ahead, but um, thanks so much for, for uh, joining I'm done. us. That's it.
2: You're it. That's oh, it. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot. I don't get to sing, dance, nothing. Uh. All right. Au revoir.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, it looks like we're t- it's uh, time for our special guest, Chef Kerr. We're so glad to have you here.
3: It's lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Yes.
1: So, uh, Chef, um, where are you from
3: originally? I'm from London. I was born and brought up in London. Yeah, in central London.
1: Okay, and uh, when did you come to the United States?
3: I was probably about 17, yeah, and I decided um, I really didn't want anyone to tell me what to do, and I was going to try California, give Ah. it a stab.
0: So, you ended up in San Francisco, right? San Francisco, yes. Right, and were you cooking right away when you got to San Francisco? No,
3: I was, well, basically, I was looking for any job I could get into, right? You're, you know, you're starting out on your own, and so I started, I think I was started out doing pizza, uh-huh. was the very first thing I was doing at round table pizza, okay, and then I just got in with a bunch of foodies a bunch of people that were in the food industry that were really into it and i met actually one of the first chefs i worked with was joey altman and he was phenomenal and he made food so easy and approachable to work with that was really inspiring to work with him and he had he had learned most of his talent in san francisco so it seemed like the natural progression to move towards san francisco
0: okay so now, how'd you meet him? Did you? Was it through the pizza thing that you were no, doing? No, I,
3: I applied for a job at uh, a place called The Palace in Sunnyvale. Okay. And uh, he was a chef there. And so I interviewed with him, and he was passionate, and we uh, got to like one another, and he offered me a job.
0: So did you go to culinary school or did you just... I did not. It was all just hands-on. Yeah,
3: it was all hands-on. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And it's, it's inspiring. That's what you do. You get motivated by a certain chef and then someone teaches you a few more moves and then someone teaches you a few more moves and then you want to be challenged a little bit more and stay in the industry. So San Francisco was this really fantastic vortex of amazing chefs at that, at that time and still is. And so, you know, one of the places that a lot of people aspired to work at was STARS in San Francisco. And that's where um, I met Jeremiah Towers. Mm-hmm. And he was one of the uh, forefathers of Chez Panisse. So he started out uh, with stars in San Francisco. And it was a, a phenomenal group of restaurant people in, in, at working there at that time. So what capacity were you when you were working there? I worked in private dining. So I worked with uh, setting up everything from the front of the house to the back of the uh, house, working uh, alongside a captain and a chef.
1: Okay, and uh, so what, w- what did that look like? What were you doing? You would set it up, did you um, work with the the clients as well or did you just
3: um no i worked in a a service position so i would work as prepping first thing in the morning towards the event in the evening and then we would go in and we'd set up the dining room so you worked in that private dining room you worked both sides of service both front and back of the house Hmm. in that in that very very small room okay and it was it was a really unique room it had a cigar bar upstairs it was it was uh probably seated about 40 people at most nice
1: Mm. intimate but uh, probably a lot of great experiences
3: oh phenomenal experiences yeah and
1: then uh, what did you transition into after that
3: well, I was in San Francisco. So at that time, it was a really exciting time to be there for me. I'd just gotten my foot, so to speak, in the door. And I met people that were starting to work in the mission, starting to work downtown. And there uh, there were a lot of different avenues to go in. You could go and stay in fine di- dining or you could go into more of the casual feel of the city. At that time, the mission hadn't even been developed. So there was this sort of quiet rumble in the mission that was going on. Um, Lower Fillmore hadn't really been developed at that time. So it was going through its own sort of um, rebirth, right? And then downtown, some of the, uh, uh, for example, Nancy Oaks was opening Boulevard downtown. And she had been working, I would say, closer to, um, Geary on Geary Street, closer towards um, uh, the sunset. So it was really nice to see people that were, had started really, really small, sort of expanding into working with people like Pat Coletto and, and opening their own venues. Um, so I, I bounced around. That was a time for me where I really bounced around and I got to know the city. I, and I also was one of those people that wanted to work, you know, two or three jobs and, and have friends from different arenas around. So I worked um, at Bruno's. I opened Bruno's. I opened John Lee Hooker's Boom Boom Room. Um, I worked at Fun. Boulevard. I worked at a place called Rendezvous du Monde at that time. Um, yeah, and I, I just bounced around the city, and I worked at a bunch of different places. Um, and then uh, I opened my own bar uh, after uh, Foreign Cinema. I opened Delfina for Craig and Annie Stoll, and then, yeah, after that, Foreign Cinema, where I actually met Michael Hecht, which was kind of an interesting story that he... Then has Since then, he's moved to uh, New Orleans, and oh. he's the uh, CEO of Geno Inc., which is, is just cool. You huh.
0: know? Well, you know, it's interesting. A lot of times, you know, a lot of New Orleanians like me will say things like, well, you know, if, if the place ever floods, can't live anywhere else, there's nowhere else I could be. And then people always answer, they would say San Francisco or Austin. Those are the two places that people always say. Right. I think the reason why is because they perceive those places as being weird like New Orleans. I think the deeper reason is because they have like a local culture you know it's still places to have a local culture like san francisco is different than any place else and austin's a little different than anywhere else and new orleans of course very different from anywhere else so what what, like so it has a strong culture what's the difference between what what are some of the similarities or differences you see between um the food industry or just culture in general in san francisco versus new orleans
3: well I, i think like you said it's got that cult vibe to it you know um similarities are I would say you know 20 years ago New Orleans reminds me of San Francisco maybe 20 years ago in the sense of it was a lot more free at the time it was a lot cheaper it was uh, full of artists and musicians and um, people from all walks walks of life. So it's gotten really expensive. Yeah. Um, that is. That's kind of the tipping point. And it gets more know?
0: uptight as it gets more expensive, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah.
3: You know, a friend of mine was actually. He lives on the top of Twin Peaks, and uh, and he was horrified to learn that someone was going through his recycling. And uh, and sep- <laughs> and he actually got a ticket because he didn't he didn't compost some of his recycling. And so the neighbors
0: I, were digging through his recycling can and yeah, finding yeah, out yeah. that he wasn't keeping all the rules. Huh? Yeah. and he yeah. got reported for that. Yeah, it gets a bit crazy. So though. that could be co- that could be coming to New Orleans eventually. No, I hope not. I hope oh not. <laughs> man, that sounds horrible. Now, where's your accent <laughs> from? You're obviously from. Okay, so you you wow, you've you've been in you know some of the most interesting places in the world. So you grew up in London, then you were in San Francisco twenty years, and now right. you've been here a while. Um, what, where's the, the, uh, your, your London accent is, uh, are you, what's your derivation there? Are you, were you, um,
3: I was born and brought up in England. My okay, okay. mom is Indian. She's Indian. And, okay. Uh, my dad was Mal- a Malaysian.
0: Malaysian. Okay. Oh, wow. So you're yeah. half Malaysian and half Indian Right. raised in London. Yeah. Just <laughs> like right. the rest of my family. Yeah. This oh, is so a interesting. Yeah. This.
3: Yeah.
1: Did, uh, your background influence your, uh, interest in food any? Oh, like
3: yeah. I mean, I think any, anyone that's in cooking is generally there because someone influenced them in a heavy way during their life. Um, my, my grandmother was, was very influential for me. Um, all my family members really growing up were excellent cooks. Um, yeah, I love it. I also grew up around a lot of Trinidadians, Tobagans, Russians, Polish people, Irish people, uh, English people. So central London, especially at that time in the 70s, was a huge melting pot of different cultures coming together. And so you, you grow up with food that is is what you assume as normal, but you know the difference between dashin and okra and eggplant. And that's just the way you're raised, you know. So it, yeah. for me... Uh, I got hit on all sides by it, but yeah, I love I love the the medium, so to speak, because it's never-ending. You never really know everything about it. It's always going to be interesting, and then your palate evolves. You learn something else. You taste something else, and and it's a sort of a never-ending feast. All right, never-ending feast. I want to get a uh,
1: back up a little bit, and um, so you were working in San Francisco and met Michael, and. Uh, what so? What else? How did you get to New Orleans from there? Oh, uh, I, on the was it Michael <laughs> or was it? Uh, it was
3: love, love. Yeah, my husband's from here. Okay, All so right. yeah, <laughs> and uh, we, met yeah. Uh, we met in San Francisco. We met in San Francisco in our mid twenties, and uh, I had, uh, like I said, I was fairly young in, in the restaurant industry, and I had gotten a job at Boulevard working for Nancy. Now Nancy was like. You know, and still is the number, Boulevard's the number one restaurant in San Francisco. Huh. So it was like going to the Mecca, right? And um, and Wayne was sort of her golden boy. And um, what was he doing there? Oh, he was cooking there. He'd come from oh. Commander's Palace, then worked with Wolfgang in San Francisco, and then worked with Joyce Goldstein. And so he'd, he, he also wanted to work with, you know, Nancy Oaks. And you were working there as well? I got a job working at, at the bar there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I came in on my first day, and uh, and then he just, you know, wandered over, and it was, you know, not appropriate. And so I was terrified <laughs> I was going to get fired. And uh, yeah, and Wayne uh, wanted to tell me a joke. All right. Yeah. What was it? Do you remember? Yeah. It <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, uh, why does six hate seven? why because oh. oh my god. Well, terrible right it's wow really yeah. that worked yeah, it worked it worked yeah wow i especially worked on my nephew i told him over the phone later on that evening and <laughs> he laughed so i went all right <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's all right
0: wow that's that's one of the worst pickup lines i've yeah, ever heard terrible. yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 wow so yeah. how long before that were you Till you were dating was that uh, it next night
3: it was for him. It took a little while. You know, he got a haircut. He kept trying, kept going. He got a haircut. He, he also stalked me <laughs> Did you tell him you sitting. didn't like his hair? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. He just, uh, he just yeah. he he was, got inspired? He's Southern, you know. He has to put it, do it all up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> nice.
0: And so what was your hair like back then? Uh, Mine? Yeah, what was your hair doing? Lo- Did you doing? have big hair? Is that big
3: what
1: hair. I
4: big yeah, yeah.
0: hair. Yeah. This would have been the 80s that we're talking about? Or yeah. Was it? yeah. No, okay. this would have the 90s.
1: Be in 90s, okay,
0: okay.
4: Yeah. 90s, yeah.
1: So, your husband, did y'all stay in San Francisco, or did he, uh,
3: did y'all go somewhere oh, else? We, went or, all, we uh, were on were again, da- off again. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was a rocky road to get here. Yeah, and uh, and he, he stalked me. He stalked me around He stalked you? Yeah. What was that like? Was Any a, court know, orders you see, involved? Or? You see a skateboard, you know, come by the corner. Oh, he was there. Oh, no, he's gone, or... He would come in and uh, sit at the end of the bar, and but not say anything, and then hmm. go away. Yeah, this.
0: this oh, that's busy. on the creepy side. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. yeah, the skateboard's <laughs> one of the noisier ways to stalk somebody. You know, you can walk much more quietly if you will not want to be detected. <laughs> so, uh, did
1: he stay in the food uh, industry the whole?
3: Yeah, well, he did. Yeah, on he, and off. He, yeah, no, he did. he was he was totally in it. He was totally in the industry. Yeah. All right.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to get back to that cuz I want to know here exactly how y'all came to New Orleans and all. But uh we've come to the part of the show where uh your plus one joins us right. and uh we'd like to know who this gentleman is and uh why you invited him on.
3: Well, this is uh Rabbi Yonachila and
4: Hello, oh, welcome. welcome.
0: <laughs> hello. Hello.
3: And I have the pleasure of working with Rabbi uh Shiller every day at uh the Hillel building. Um we met uh, through Michael, actually, and um, I had moved to New Orleans, and I wasn't really sure which, whether I was getting back into the food industry, what I was doing, and, um, and so uh, Michael gave, gave me a phone call one day, and he said, I have a friend who's uh, a rabbi, and he needs some help, and uh, and, you, and uh, Michael wasn't really quite sure what you needed, but he said something to do with cooking and something to do with the kitchen. And so I, I gave uh, Yona a ring and we, we met. And uh, we, we started talking about, we, we talked more philosophically, I think, about uh, what we wanted to do. I I've saved that. Now this is with but the so new
0: Minz Center that was being built, right? Center for Jewish Life on yeah. Tulane and it hadn't been built yet and right. you were on the you were in the desi- you were in charge of the design of the of the of what was going to be in the center and how it was going to be structured and all that is that what I'm gathering? Yeah, we were in the
4: design phase and we were thinking really we were thinking big picture conceptually how do we want to roll this thing out? What do we want to create? Who do we want to be part of that creation? And uh, and and food is important. Right. So Mm -hmm. when thinking about um, not only, you know, oftentimes in in certain Jewish institutions, you might think like, you know, kosher food, get a kosher caterer, get somebody who knows kosher food. So um, from where we were coming from, we really wanted to create community and everything we did wanted to be feeding into that community. Food was just one component in addition to programming, community relations, all the other all the other pieces that might go into a community oriented center so uh when when thinking about the food option, um, it was really uh the you know philosophically speaking, when Harvey and I started talking, it was you know how can ro- food play a role in creating community and um and then the kosher piece of it again, a little bit was secondary, although it was important it was going to happen but um, and Harvey can talk more about the what kosher limitations might feel like oftentimes they 're not as limited as people think. Uh, and part of the, the conce- concept of, of the program was also redefine what kosher food can be imagined to be. Right. Uh, and, that, and that's something that Harveen is, is, uh, hasn't said enough yet. She's, she's a chef, but she's, for, first and foremost, I would say she's an artist and food is just her medium. And, uh, and that's what we were looking for. We're looking to create something, something that was gonna be surprising to us and a new offering to the community and also in terms of the, the lexicon of what Jewish institutions can be.
0: So, so when you spoke to her, you, you, would, uh, you were thinking about several people to be involved in this? You, I mean, right away, did you go, this is the person to help us move forward with this? Or, I mean, what happened? Had that developed?
4: Yeah, I mean, you can also speak to it. It was just, it was a process of, of really, lo- I was looking for thought partners um, and I was looking, rather forgetting the Jewish thing for a second, I was looking for people who really knew food. Um, and Michael, you know, has a has a vast amount of, you know, restaurant experience in San Francisco. He said, you know, you need to talk to Harveen. Harveen knows food better than anybody I know. And uh, and when we spoke, it was, you know, it was clear that was her world. Um, and also uh, how she imagined creating food was similar to how do I imagined creating community which was let's think about putting the raw elements together and 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 see what happens
3: yeah i would say you know we the goal was to build community through food you know uh, and to evolve the building and build that community and and philosophically yona and i just jived you know and so for me it was oh there's no holes barred really it's just understanding what kosher is and most people focus on what you can't do rather than what you can do. And there's probably a whole, there's there's, this, you know, whole continents devoted to the same cultural mindset of kosher food. Will you
1: elaborate a little bit about that? I mean, just. Mm -hmm. So for
3: example, not, you know, most of Asia and going into Africa, there's very few, you know, uh, recipes that involve uh, a dairy and a meat to mix. You know, so it's really about looking at the structure of how uh, of the content of kosher food and then going along those lines. What we do at Hillel's Kitchen is we source our ingredients locally. We use everything that is seasonal. We strive to use everything that is organic and we use a kosher product. For me, which means really a product that holds integrity. You can't, uh, you can't butcher the animal unless 100% of the animal is 100% okay. For example, you know, we've all gotten a chicken every once in a while where a wing is missing from it. And, huh. you know, I always, you know, I laugh about that and I go, well, maybe the, you know, the, the, the wing was rotten, but the rest of the bird seemed fine. So that's why you've got... You know, a chicken with one wing, or maybe it was just a one-armed chicken. I really don't know. But you know, it, for me, it's as I get as I get more aware of what I'm actually eating. As I watch far too many documentaries on Netflix, mm-hmm. um, huh. <laughs> I have to take that into account and go, "What am I also nurturing someone else with as a chef, and what am yeah. I putting into my own body as consumption?" Now, did you
0: have any kosher background before this? I, so you're not, not ju- you're not Jewish, right? No. No, okay.
3: I'm, not, I'm not Jewish. I, um, I have the, I have no kosher background to it. And like I said, and you hadn't
0: worked in a kosher uh, kitchen before or no, anything like that. No, not at all. So there was a lot of studying involved and a lot of um, and a lot of research involved and just sort of getting down the basics even probably right.
3: There was uh, what happened was the process was a rather nice dance so it wasn't uh, it wasn 't uh, you know let 's open a restaurant in six weeks. It was a process of about six to eight months where I really got to know uh, the philosophy of what we what we were striving for, the content of what we were doing, also working with with the students at Tulane who really influenced what we 're putting on a plate today and just listening to them, understanding. You know hearing people's gripes their complaints right. about so what is what is, they what they what is
0: that with. philosophy like you keep mentioning the philosophy of it like you talked about community being central to that what like how would you summarize some of the
3: some of the philosophies contours of it, the philosophy right is to bring the fringe together and let everybody celebrate within uh, you know an open community of people that are like-minded and want to celebrate life if you want to bring together the community f- through food if you want to be around a source that uses local products seasonal products organic products um kosher elements to it I think all of those start building a community of people if you want to work closer to farmers in your community if you want to know who the butcher is that actually slaughtered the meat that you have you're building that through community right. um, I think those are essential keys of what we do also also putting something on a plate that gets you really close to excellent food I've, uh, I've been uh, privileged to work in very fine, high, high end fine dining very simple dining Um, The thing that separates the two or makes the two equal is when you use an excellent product and if you can get rid of the bells and whistles because for for the restaurateurs that spend a lot of money on their linens, their, their flowers, their maitre d's, it's lovely, it's a wonderful experience not all of us have two hours for lunch or dinner anymore you know we have a very short amount of time that doesn't mean that we want to eat crap during that period of time we want to really for me at least I want to get as close to good food as possible during that period of time So one of the ways to do it is if you are supported by you know the Hillel uh, Foundation if Tulane takes an interest in you and you are doing an excellent thing and striving for an excellent product. It's really nice to have such excellent cheerleaders behind what we're doing, really, you yeah. know, because they're great partners for us. We we yeah. started, uh, Hillel's Kitchen started as a, you know, a small husband and wife business, and right. we've really, we started cool. feeding, you know, 15 students, and then, you know, within a few short weeks, we were feeding, you know, 150, 200 people.
0: I got so many questions, so I'm, I'm sorry if I keep cutting <laughs> you off, but I, I'm, I'm dying to get to a whole bunch of these. Okay, so yeah. one of one of them is like, what percentage of the of the diners now are students or people that are part of the uh, Tulane community, you know, academically or whatever. Students, faculty, staff, and what percentage are just people in the neighborhood? The like I, I like I, I've eaten there a dozen times or so. I'm not affiliated with Tulane. Um, you know, how many folks are like me? It's probably hard to tell sometimes, but
3: we recognize a lot of people surprisingly, right? and I would say that. I would say, the, well, Yona knows the metrics much better than I would, but I would say about 90% of who walk in are students or faculty or involved with Tulane. Right. I would say that we have a growing population of, of outside outside of that community neighbors growing right um, we have been fortunate enough to be invited to you know the local farmers market so we've made more friends oh, right. um, we're now actually in the last couple of weeks just got on good eggs which right. we're thrilled That's to be great. part yeah. of it, yeah. it really is and we've what we've learned mm. is that there's a uh, uh, you know people know a lot more about us than we ever thought before right um, because we're really um, we're really quite busy on good eggs
0: now the prices are, are are the price point is really good I think for the quality of the ingredients Ingredients you use and everything. I mean, it really is. You know, it's, it's, it's a solid value. Is it subsidized, or is that just, or is that just really good management? I mean, do you have some sort of grant well, that's offsetting the cost a little bit, or is it, or is it just, uh, you know, I mean, is it making money? Is it, is the kitchen? Uh,
3: well, we've been there four years. Uh, we're yet to turn a profit. Okay. Um, uh, the wonderful thing about working with Yona and his team is that they book a ton of events. Right. without the support from the Hillel Foundation we really wouldn't be standing as a business uh, you know so it really takes um, everyone supporting Just so to cater those things and we all do, that we right? do yeah okay. we we support, support Shabbat dinners we do private events we're about to do and you work with synagogues
0: then too is that the is that the idea you're you're catering at synagogue events too or no
3: we do uh shabbat dinner and yeah, we okay. do the rosh hashanah dinners mm-hmm. we do passover dinner. okay oh so not just yeah. for
0: the not just for the hillel but i mean at no it, always at the hillel though right
3: not mm-hmm. not at, at, the, at the hillel yeah okay,
4: okay. But, you, but you've
0: catered for other synagogues in town
4: yeah
1: i have to. Yes, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah
0: that's yeah, what i mean yeah, yeah, okay to, yeah. cool so now, is now the how,
1: event uh, so what like what is shmancy that's okay. Really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I love it. And no, I mean uh, what it's, is that? It's uh, just
4: uh you know and one thing I just want to add just cuz I think it's just important you know one thing in terms of the philosophy which we talk a lot about yeah. and is you know it's it's also about you know the basis of of community I think is really um bringing together different people's perspectives and people people feeling like they have a a belonging. Right. And I think in in terms of you know when we were getting oriented with the food operation it was also really about making it you know, i would I would stop short of saying it was customized food, but it was personal um and you know i i've on numerous and countless occasions every day I hear Harveen giving health advice to people who are there to order something and it's and it and that's I feel like that's very important to harveen it's important to building community because people don't feel like they 're walking in and just ordering something off the menu it's also about where am I at today? What, how right. can you know what's the, what's the food I need today? And then right. Harvey and her staff playing a role in that. So I think that's also sort of like part of the building of the community piece.
0: Well, I mean that's sort of a very spiritual theological value too, right? I mean yeah. there's the the Hebrew scriptures uh, in, in, in agreement with the New Testament too uh, treat food as more than just fuel. Yeah, and more than just an aesthetic thing. Ideality it's sort of a holistic to, thing, right? Ideal, yeah, ideally yeah. it's supposed to raise consciousness. You know, right. we,
4: should, we should be aware of what we're doing, whether it be right. eating or walking or, or whatever. I always do. tell
0: people when you when you uh, if you grow up Southern Baptist <laughs> or you grow up Orthodox Jewish or you grow up something where you're where you're learning the Bible stories and you ask somebody to walk the, walk their way through Genesis one and keep going as far as they can go. They gotta get about halfway through Exodus before they hit a story where food's not the middle right. of the story. Right. It's in the middle of every right. single story. Right. The garden you know? of Eden, it and starts with food, right? Yeah, it starts out <laughs> and the whole fall starts with the right. forbidden right. fruit right. and then it's K and Abel over right. the meat offering versus that's the grain right. offering it keeps going and going and going. Right. And every every story centers on food. Yeah. And you know, the the I think there's something there to say this is something that's primal about us. It's not just sort of something that's, you know, uh, can, you know something that uh, we, as a developed nation and middle class people, can have the have the um, have the luxury of being able to have these exotic foods and and try all this different stuff. It's about more a lot more than that, isn't it? I mean, yeah.
4: And you know, it's interesting is that food also is very connected to identity and what kind of yes. food you eat, but also what kind of food you serve. So going back to Schmancy, you know, it's a great it's a great segue just because. So Schmancy is our. Um, It's our our community-wide event that we are launching on uh, November 20th, and it's our first um, Hillel Community-wide fundraisers that we've done uh, alone. We've often partnered with other organizations, and we're really excited about this. So, schmancy is a funny word, you know. Uh, I don't know. Did you, sh- you coin that? No. It was. We have an amazing committee of people. <laughs> um, Your committee coined that. Though? <laughs> I think they did. Yes. This is, okay. Nice. I, I think it's been used before. Though. It's going to. Okay. I, I was going to say that, but but I don't know be if added be, to the dictionary. I don't know if it's, if it's not, been used okay. as a, as a fundraiser name. So, you know, but more th- it's more in the fundraiser. It's also a way of people being exposed to the community that we're building, and also be a part of the community. So, um, you know. One one of the things that uh, that Schmancy is about is really about bringing people together. Both showing what we're doing and also collecting um, seemingly disparate people in the community in one place and at one time. So Schmancy uh, is is centered around food. We have um, we're honoring a number of people that night. Um, one of the people that we're, one of the pe- persons that we're honoring is uh, Dr. Sarah Mack, and she's winning the uh, the big pastrami award. <laughs> there is a pastrami theme, and, and Harvey can talk more about the food that's going to be served there. But the idea is to make it Schmancy. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be a little bit crazy, a little bit fancy. Um, and really kind of highlight all of the stuff that we do. We're very community organized. um, So you're selling tickets to this? We're selling tickets. They're $99 uh, a ticket. All right. And it's going to be the Messy Cookers are going to be playing there, the jazz band, Messy Cooker jazz band. Um, There's going to be signature drinks, martinis, Manhattans, beer, wine. Uh, The food is going to be modern schmancy twist on (laughs) deli food. (laughs) Mini mini pastrami sandwiches, chicken liver, uh, crostinis, uh, smoked fish, and Harvey, and you can if you want to say anything else about the menu that we've talked about a little bit.
0: And all that's included in your ninety nine dollars, huh? Yeah. Open yeah. bar too.
4: Yeah, it's uh yeah, yeah Martinis, in Manhattans. You
0: lose bar. money on Margot if you do that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Margo can come after the party. <laughs> so uh,
4: no, it's gonna be it's gonna be really great. It's gonna be a lot of fun, and uh, that's the name of the game to make it fun.
3: Yeah, it's gonna have this great uh, you know sort of nineteen twenties feel to it. It's it's um it's gonna have interesting allures that I can't really go into. Some of them have to be kept. Top secret. Oh, nice! Yeah. Absolutely. But we're going to do our version of uh, "Angels on Horseback," which is you know uh, I get this fantastic hot dog from New York from Abel and Heyman, and then we're going to wrap it in pastrami and we're going to throw it on the grill. So that's going to be <laughs> one of them. We're huh. going to do uh, look canishes, so a uh, really flaky pastry with uh, stuffed potato, and it has schmaltz in it. Uh, and uh, there'll be kosher
4: gumbo. I, I've k- heard kosher gumbo. Kosher we, we, gumbo. Wayne yeah.
3: makes the best turkey gumbo yeah it's no, fantastic yeah oh, of course the turkey yeah. there we go yeah. okay yeah it's fantastic and um we're going to do sliders. We're going to be doing cones of uh, smoked f- white fish. And um, we're going to be have it, We'll have a ladka bar, which will have uh, freshly made lardkas with our house-smoked salmon on them. We'll also have uh, pulled beef that we do on the wow. latkes, which is delicious. Um,
4: and as, as a ramp-up, you all should know that we are actually um, taking orders now up until the event on June 20th for um, pastrami sandwiches. Right. And oh. uh, they're, they're a fundraiser. Um, you know mechanism there are twenty dollar sandwiches, ten dollars goes to to Hillel and ten dollars is for the food itself nice. and um, and we 're selling those in individual sandwiches and also in platters. so if you have a business lunch out there and you want to you know sample what could be an amazing night not to be forgotten between now and huh. t- uh, November 20th, you can order that you can just go straight to the uh, Tulane Hillel website which is TulaneHillel.org, and, and there'll be a link there to l- order those sandwiches.
0: Now, do you know of any other Hillel place? Almost every campus probably has, uh, of size, has a Hillel in an uh, urban area, you yeah. know? Do you know any other one that has a kitchen that's this sophisticated or this interesting? Because I'm going to tell you this. Yeah. Growing up in New York and all that, right, lots and lots of kosher restaurants, yeah. and I love to eat, and you yeah. know, partly Jewish family and all that stuff, we, you know... Kosher restaurants were not my go-to usually. You yeah. know, what I mean, it was usually not the place that you went for the for the delicious food. Yeah. But uh, you know, I've just I've loved everything I've ever had at at, at your all's place. I'm just wondering is that is this a trend? Are there a lot of Hillels that are coming up with really creative kitchens or? Are you pioneers in that? You think? I
4: think I think we are pioneers in that. Um, you know, there is a, a renewed interest in um, in people expecting quality from uh, from their Jewish experience, and and I think kosher food is no exception. And oftentimes, like right. you, like you said, it's not often associated with quality food, and that's definitely something we want to turn the turn around. Well, a everybody
0: bit. knows that Jews have been like uh, leaders in the arts, in like every every kind of art, in visual arts, and in literature, and in film, and all that kind of stuff. Disproportionate you know, leadership in that. And, you, you know, I've often wondered why not quite as much, it seems like. I mean, I know there's lots of great Jewish chefs, but not, I don't know, you don't think of a lot of Jewish kosher chefs or right. whatever. And right. um, it just seems odd to me. And maybe it's because it grew out of, a A lot of times, out of maybe a culture of, of scarcity sometimes in food and so forth. And mm-hmm. you could you could read and you could, you could debate philosophically, but you couldn't really get a hold of uh, lots of uh, very you know, ingredients when you're in the shuttle or, you know, and, yeah, and yeah. you know, and maybe it's part of, I don't, and I don't know what the answer to that is. Have you thought about that or I you think, have any I mean, opinions think, on that?
4: I think there's a, a you know, reemergence of what kosher food can can look like and be re- reimagined. Uh, and I think there are some restaurants that are popping up in New York. There are some now kosher food trucks that are popping up with quality food um, in New York and Brooklyn area. But in, in general, I think we're, I think we're at the beginning of something that I think we're going to see more, I think it's just in general the world's becoming more diversified, more unique authenticity people are looking for. So I think you're going to see more kosher food options that are probably on on par with other quality. Now, how stuff. kosher
0: are you? Like, <laughs> I know there's grades, right? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. for example, my 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 favorite cousin in my family is um, uh is is very particular. Although I was talking to Grant before and I found out he's there's there's more particular people in him. He's he's Orthodox, so he's got the two refrigerators and two stoves and all that, and you know, and we, we always let him pick where we're going to eat whenever he, and you know he brings stuff usually and all that but um you know i found that there's kosher places near me that he wouldn't he wouldn't go to because they weren't the right rabbi that had yeah. overseeing it and this and that and there was debate in New York about when they discovered there was tiny crustaceans in the water yeah and, that's right. and was that a violation you know and then there were some people said well if you could see him with 2020 vision then they're then they're crustaceans if you can't then yeah and there was debate and it was split even within orthodox folks right. about what was so I mean I guess what I'm getting at is like how where do you draw the line with you all Did, do you decide that I guess as a committee has decided that yeah. so and where is that line roughly in, in ways that our view our listeners can understand
4: yeah so there's a technical answer and, and first of all we're supervised by uh, the Rabbi Beth Israel in Metairie, which is an yeah. Orthodox synagogue, um, and then and more sort of in terms of the narrative, um, I've I've supervised a number of different kosher kitchens, and, and I can speak about some of the, the nuances of what makes something kosher and not kosher. But what's interesting is I've brought Orthodox colleagues into our kitchen, and one thing that they've always said, which is they're kind of amazed basically, and <laughs> it's it's because that oftentimes um, a lot of the process of keeping kosher in a restaurant is checking out the products to make sure that they have a kosher symbol. There's very few things that Harveen and her staff don't make from scratch. So um, really, other than the meat, the restaurant is it's like one of the simplest kosher kitchens ever to be maintained because everything she does is from scratch. And oftentimes raw raw ingredients are already kosher. Um, it's only when you get into processed foods
0: uh, where you oh, run into a lot of. Okay. So that's interesting. Right. it's very interesting. Because the, the machinery is, used, is mixing ingredients right. that's not supposed to be mixed in the factory. So yeah, if, you're, exactly. if you're doing it yourself, then you're not mixing them. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. So
4: we, in that sense, it's a very streamlined, very simple kosher operation. And, and it adheres to the highest guidelines mm-hmm. in terms of root. Um, obviously, the average goer, food, you know, consumer would never know
0: that. But, um, right. but it's a, it's a very strictly strictly kosher situation. Yeah. So, do you have any Orthodox folks in town that don't think you're Orthodox enough that can't eat it your, in your kitchen? <laughs> Probably. No c- Probably. I but mean, they are, told there's always, you know, I mean, o- always got to be somebody against you. Or you're yeah. not probably, not doing, you're <laughs> probably not doing the same. You're not do- probably
4: not doing something yeah. right if
0: nobody's against you. So right, right. right yeah, right. So, uh, yeah uh, uh, you know, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we all have. I mean, my church, like, we're heretics to some people, you know, exactly. whatever. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, right. it's okay. You know, that's, yeah, that's all right.
1: So, um, Rabbi, um, where would you, would you only eat in your home? Before this kitchen was open, or what, what is your what was your dining experience? Right. This is like all in New a, a selfish ploy.
4: Yeah, you just created this <laughs> kitchen so you have a place to eat. <laughs> he does. <laughs> <laughs> we do eat there quite often. Uh, uh, what percentage of I work meals there, you so eat there? <laughs> you know, I've been trying to cut down. My you know, it's like it's not good for ninety percent, eighty percent.
0: You're up there, probably. I bet.
4: I you know I've been I've been taking I don't know if Harvey noticed I've taken the small a different tack like I, <laughs> I now like you know get like the banana bread which is like out of this world and I get like maybe two pieces a day and I space it out and then I, and then I chew myself to lunch every other day kind of uh, so comes anyway, in he comes and he's just it. hovers and <laughs> sees if we're gonna uh, chuck
3: some food at him oh are you trying something what's going on he <laughs> <laughs> just walk into the kitchen yeah but this yeah.
4: is the only kosher restaurant uh, in New Orleans. Wow yeah. in, in the New Orleans. whole metro area in, in or, or in the city in, there are kosher restaurants in Metairie but in the city in New Orleans this is the only kosher restaurant
0: okay so I heard a rumor. And yeah. So this was probably true. I heard a rumor yeah. that you know, I, I, there was one point in time oh, where I could yeah. say I ate at every single restaurant in the city. Yeah, I heard a rumor that you've eaten in none of the restaurants in the city. <laughs> exactly. for, okay. So is that true? You and I are the inverse of each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
4: uh, there is a, there is a kosher waffle place that just opened up. Just where? A, a kosher <laughs> waffle place. That where p- that place that you? Oh, ate? on Maple. Yeah, I yeah, love exactly, that place. Yeah, they were closed exactly. for um, yeah. the ho- the holidays recently yeah. too. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so they there are, are kosher, kosher waffle place.
0: Waffle? Yeah, they're kosher. They're kosher. Yeah, and that's just I haven't eaten there yet. So, shame what on is, me, right? What would be unkosher in a waffle? Let's see. I guess if you had... Well, there's milk products probably in a waffle, right? Yeah. And then if you, so if you had some yeah. kind of... Cheese can, sh- yeah, cheese can right. be an issue. Um,
4: right. You know, um, you know, anytime... Anything processed. Anything uh, processed. Because so waffles are like all
0: processed. It's like flour. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. Yeah. And like they can all. be kosher
4: waffles, but they're going to be kosher waffles that have no supervision whatsoever. So oftentimes you'll find when you go into uh, one of these factories is they'll oftentimes process
0: multiple different types of foods in the, using the same machines. Right. And so... Now, probably 80%, 80, 80, 90% of our listeners don't understand the issue with cheese. Like, it, it, the, 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 There's this issue of not being able to mix um, milk products with meat products, right? Explain to us that. It's you're very not, basic.
4: You're basically, it's just, there's a basic um, principle that you're not supposed to mix meat and milk together. So um, you'll never find a kosher restaurant that will both be, will serve milk products and meat products. Right. Um, it'll choose one or the other. Um, or it'll be what they call parv, which is, something that has neither meat nor milk. Um so like seed for example mm-hmm. um you know uh, is like you know is is has no meat no milk on that menu. Um that would be a parve restaurant.
0: So my favorite deli in, yep. in Jersey used to um I couldn't get cheese on my uh on my on my sandwiches with meat but they would give it on the side and then I could put it on myself. Was that was that fudging was God mad at them?
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who God's mad at. I don't know. <laughs>
1: Yeah. But it would be on the plate, right? And then cleaning
0: uh, the plate. No, I, my, mine would get wrapped up. The sandwich would get wrapped up, be fully wrapped, and right. then fully wrapped. Separate from that would be oh. my cheese. Yeah, sometimes establishments have different areas of their establishment that right. do just one color that's there, only done and cheese over and there. never touched meat, and one that's only done meat exactly. and never touched cheese. And exactly, right. exactly. Well, I mean, I had a relative that used to... Well, okay, I didn't know him. He died before I was born. But he, the family story was he used to bring his own pots and pans with him to restaurants, and he'd give it to them, and they'd they'd, they'd say, okay, cook it in this, you know? And he'd have yeah. it marked, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know if that's a common thing or not. I was yeah, just well, That was just him, but... I have
4: a famous story. My my grandmother, um, because she was coming to our house, she kept a, a stricter kosher standard than we did at our family, and she was living in New York. We were living in Boston, and she came over, and she says, because of her kosher guidelines she brought with her her um, for Thanksgiving her carving knife um, <laughs> <laughs> and, she, and she brought it on the plane and, and of course before she got on the plane a 70 year old woman was you know takes out a carving knife from her bag and, and you know it was a little bit of an incident <laughs> yeah. <she> yeah. <laughs> explain, you know heavy mm-hmm. uh, heavy accent that she <laughs> keeps kosher <you> know. <laughs>
1: okay I have w- one one more question about food and kosher is there do you have to wait in between a certain amount of time if, if you eat meat And then you have dairy. Is there like a. Can it mix in your
4: stomach? Yeah, strictly speaking, (laughs) you're supposed to separate them into technically different meals. So there are different, different um, technical Jewish law versions of what the amount of time constitutes a separate meal. So like if you think about it for yourself, like you have a meal. When are you ready for another meal? right. I don't know. (laughs) What, like a couple hours later? You know, five hours later? Sometimes six hours later? So there are actually different versions of how many hours you're supposed to wait based on where you're from. Uh, for example, from, uh, if you're Dutch, you only have to wait one hour. If you're from, um, oh. Eastern Europe, Seriously? you wait for six <laughs> <an> hours. Uh, <laughs> because they're third more third dark and, <laughs> and morbid. <laughs> <laughs> than they, 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 they never there. ate there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so Harvey, will you, um, share some of, uh, <coughs> some of the, uh, food from the, from your menu and, mm. uh, do you? How often do you change up the menu to God. suit your creativity and? I
3: try to change. Uh, God, uh, you know, I try to change the menu or influence the menu on a uh, on a daily basis. You know, add something to it on a daily. Like for example, right now we're featuring uh, local Louisiana satsumas, and we're doing that not only on 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 a, in a bowl on the counter, but we're also using it as a vinaigrette. So we like to incorporate things on that level. Um, right now we're in pastrami zone, so we are, (laughs) it's a two week process, so we've been curing it, uh, dry rubbing it, massaging it, you know, smoking it, we're about to steam it tomorrow, so wish us luck with that. But really, it's as much as uh, we work with a very large student population now in our kitchen, which is really kind of amazing, you know. Working in and, the kitchen. Yeah, working yeah. in the kitchen. Yeah, so the they're, learning. Yeah. they're yeah. learning not and only so,
0: cooking techniques, but really special cooking techniques, too. Yeah, right.
3: Right. It's it's definitely going to be unique for them. Uh, um, it, it's something that I'd like to venture into more of a curriculum for Tulane down the road. But oh. right now, what happens is it's the... It's the reaction to the students learning so we all kind of get on one page and then we start talking about food we go to the farmer's market we come to my house we look at what's growing in the garden we start talking and it's a conversation so right now everyone wants to do noodles and everyone wants to do ramen noodles so next week we'll start going into the ramen noodles so you know it, it changes based on what's what's modern what's contemporary right now you Mm -hmm. know and um, it's influenced by what we know and miss on the streets that we can't get here all the time you know um, we do things as classic as a shawarma you know and um, we do we do a veggie burger you know so we do a a fantastic veggie burger we uh, that's made with spinach and black beans and and we smoke our sweet potatoes in there so I wanted a Mm. substantial veggie burger but not something that was loaded with you know carbs on top of a bun it doesn't really make any sense to me so I wanted Mm. something that was substantial in there but delicious you know and then we make a Moroccan tomato jam that we load the sandwich with we do uh, I do a turkey breast sous vide so I take the turkey you know I get my turkeys in we do we, we use whole animal farming so we break down the entire animal so the students get to really know how to break down a whole fish. What do we do with all parts of the fish? How do we break down the belly? What are we doing with? How are we smoking it? How are we curing it? They go to from nose to tail on any animal. With the turkeys, we're breaking those down. So we take the breasts off, and then I uh, I marinate them and I sous vide them. So I'm cooking them at low low boiling temperature for a long period of time, which uh, really doesn't uh, dry out the turkey breast in any way. So when people are getting a, a, a you know an eight dollar sandwich across the the counter from us the bread's been made in-house and it's all organic the turkey breast is organic and it's cooked sous vide it's slapped on there with uh, yeah. you know a handful of uh, microgreens, uh, some local baby greens uh, a creole tomato and some ripe avocado. Yeah, that's how I understand I mean, how you do
0: that delicious. I mean it's really that's 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 a lot of expense that goes into all that it and is a lot, and for a lot effort, of yeah. manpower too yeah. well, I mean I just paid $13 for my sandwich at, uh, on Sunday for lunch it was delicious but uh, it wasn't as complicated as what you just described for eight and it just surprises me that you can give such a great value for such fantastic food,
3: yeah well once again, I think it's what you can do with kosher as opposed to what you can't do with it, and so I can you know use all my knowledge and apply it to very simple street food and go it's an excellent product, and yeah. we're getting you as close to great food as possible at an, a really affordable price um now you have and, any rel- and, uh
1: and I was just gonna uh say that that is to me another great example of community because not only uh the students are coming there and and people can eat together and but you're educating them on uh am- amazing food and and it's something they can grow with you and learn and then when they leave they will spread that so it makes the community expand yeah I think yeah I mean I, yeah. I, mean, I, 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 mean, I went to an elite
0: college where probably right now in the in the in the cafeteria the, the students are unpacking cisco boxes you know and sticking things in the toaster ovens or whatever it is, microwave and pressing codes. And that's right. you know I'm, that's so I, different than the experience that you're describing. When,
3: when I came to the college campus, I was horrified at what they were eating. <laughs> and I went, I went, well, if if you're at Tulane and your education level is on a high ground and your your expectation is really high for these students to then get out in the real world and be able to communicate, one of the ways that we do communicate is through food. you know, And so for me, I felt compelled to say, This is an excellent product. Learn about it. Learn about its history and then take it further in your life and be able to expand upon it because we're an ever-changing world today. We need to know a little bit about everyone's food, you know? I mean... San Francisco, for me, is a land of burritos on your way to work. So I have to have a burrito on the menu, you know what I mean? <laughs> like when I was in the service industry, going from one job to another, you grab a burrito on Mission Street and you keep going. You know, and, I, and for me, when I think about casual fast, that's the kind of thing that really appeals to me, like something that's totally solid, you can go all day on, isn't, it doesn't cost you an arm and a leg. But yeah, you have to make the effort of going there, you have to make the effort of of getting to know the people that work there and, and it makes for a good community based environment. Now
0: do you have any relationship with uh, Chef Leah Saris? We um we just saw her this week. She was she got the um you see she got one she was named one of the forty under forty by Gambit Weekly. She's been on our show a few times. She's got the first um uh kitchen teaching kitchen in a medical school in the country, you know, a Tulane Medical School. Right, yeah, yeah. 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 I met like, her briefly. Yeah. yeah it yeah, sounds like she'd be really brief- interested in what you're doing. Yeah, she's you two a kindred lady. spirits, yeah. 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 Um, it'd be interesting to see if there's any way you could, uh, pi- partner up with her. Maybe yeah. you could teach some, uh, some segments of her class on some of these, uh, some of these cooking adventures that you're yeah, having.
3: Have them come over. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, get students over.
1: Well, y'all, um, we're, we're coming to the I end of the show. This. I know I'm, I'm so sad. There's so much Our more Our producer was us and I y'all. thought he
0: was saying it's time for the special segment, which is like <laughs> yeah. halfway through and it's like, no, we're done. Oh.
1: Should we spring this, the... Uh, no, it's, no. No, you don't want I had
0: a good question for... But oh, I'm come not...
1: on. Let, you don't want to uh. do it? We we, we have the part of the show where um, we ask y'all a question that you would not be asked in any reputable restaurant or in any job interview, uh, a quirky question All called, right. from off the menu. So
0: My, Mine's going to get, you know, you know we, you, we get people in trouble sometimes with these questions, but you got to answer them anyway, but you just blame it on us, but... Okay. This this, this 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 is one of those uh, quandaries. I think that may, well, maybe not. You're probably used to this. All right. Somebody's, I'm probably not the first one to think of this. Okay. So, uh, God comes to you in a in, in a vision and and, uh, and says you can eat one food that's not kosher one time before you die. Oh my god. What are you going to eat? Wow. Crawfish.
4: So first of all, I have to just
0: say, <laughs>
4: November twentieth, <20th. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> Schmancy, you have to come. Seriously, it'd be a great way to int- be introduced to Harvey and what's, what's going on. We're gonna here.
0: give you a chance to do a plug again. Okay, Don't good, worry good. about it. We've, we've, um, you know, everybody's so got some plug. Beyond a doubt, uh,
4: <laughs> and beyond a doubt, uh, like beyond a doubt, it'd be um, oysters. Oyster have oh. Never had an oyster. No, I oh. have had oysters. Before. You have had oysters yeah, before. Okay, yeah. when, okay, I was, okay. when I was younger, be prior to. Prior to
0: Get, um, getting a little more observant, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you craving them ever but, since?
4: I don't crave them, but when I see them, <laughs> I'm just like, I remember those. Why is God so <laughs> mean? Wow, that's really not. Yeah. I
1: would not have really. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know.
4: Yeah, oysters and just at a. At a bar was all I needed. Really, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. it's all I needed. Rather, yeah. rather than. All right,
0: yeah. that's a great. Been answer. a long time yeah. Been a long time. Okay. Well,
1: Harveen, my my question for you is absolutely not that um, challenging. But let's see if uh, if you were to um, if you had to choose another career right Are you and you you know somebody told god came to you and told <laughs> you you could not be a chef anymore what would your uh other career be i'd be a farmer a farmer ah
0: uh, okay now is that the same answer you would have given 20 years ago if we had asked that or 10 years ago has your experience at Hillel changed that significantly, or did you have said the same thing 10 I years ago? Know.
3: I don't know. Yeah, no, I was wild. I was still wild, actually. Um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I, w- I, I don't know. What Were I was you a punk rocker in London? In I that. was wild. Man. Did you, <laughs> was you was see The Clash? you see Sex Pistols? No, no, no. And, and, no. No? Americans like that, but, you know. I'm we jealous. Like I, we like I, like I got like to like see a, the Ramones. We like that was earth, it. like Earth, Wind, and Fire. We're in that genre. No, I don't think so. I I, I can't imagine what, 10 years ago, I would have probably said, I, I will trot the globe. But that uh. was, you know, before Wayne stalked me around uh. and dragged me uh. to the bayou. Nice.
1: <laughs> and you've become a bayou girl. All right. All right.
0: Well, we're completely out of time. Now, give that plug, Yona, about, um, about uh, one more time for Schmancy. Yeah. I mean, really, it just uh, I only, it's, I'm only telling you
4: because I, I would like to meet you. It's November, <laughs> November, 20th, November 20th at the Hillel Center. It's 912 Broadway for $99, a ticket, live music by the Messy Cookers, jazz band, delicious food, signature cocktails, amazing people and community, martinis, Manhattans, modern schmancy twist of deli foods, mini pastrami sandwiches, chicken liver, crostinis, and, uh, and smoked fish, and much, much more. It should be zany, crazy, fun, fancy,
0: and a lot of fun. And you told them where they can get the tickets?
4: Yeah, tickets are on, uh, you can order them on Tulane Hillel website, which is tulanehillel.org. And you can also order um, any amount of pastrami sandwiches from now (laughs) leading up there. It's great for business lunch, $20 a sandwich, special deals for a platter. Take advantage of it. It's really going to be, as you can, as you can heard from Harveen, everything is homemade, including the pastrami. So,
0: wow. Uh, Yum. All right, our special guest tonight on Midnight Menu Plus One was Chef Harveen Kara, and her Plus One was Rabbi Yona Schiller. You can find out more about Hillel's Kitchen and about the rest of the goings-on of the Mint Center for Jewish Life by following the links on our website, it's itsneworleans.com. And
1: thanks tonight to Petite Pet Care for loving care when you're out uh, trying the incredible food that, uh, that Harveen and her husband are working on at uh, the Hillel Center. Uh, you can contact PetitePetCare.com. All
0: right, and thanks also to Chappies, our, our new host. That's it for tonight's show, so until next time, I'm Ray Kanata.
1: And I'm Margot Moss. Good night.
0: Midnight Menu Plus One is produced by Margot Moss, Grant Morris, and me, Ray Kanata. Our technical director is Chris Keogh.
1: You can find photos from tonight's show on our website, it'sneworleans.com. On itsneworleans.com, you can also check out our blog, you can listen to lots more episodes of Midnight Menu Plus One and our other shows, including Out to Lunch, Happy Hour, True to the Game, and Mindset.
0: You can hook up with me and Margo anytime by following Midnight Menu Plus One on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also Google Midnight Menu Plus One. We come right up.
1: The fabulous audio quality of this show is brought to us by Presonus Audio. For more information about Presonus recording equipment, go to presonus.com.
0: Midnight Menu Plus One is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. For all of us here at Midnight Menu Plus One, thanks for joining us. I'm Ray Kanata.
1: And I'm Margot Moss. We look forward to seeing you back here next week on Midnight Menu Plus One.